0: Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode, I chat to celebrated cornet player, conductor and educator Chris Bradley, as he prepares to release a new album of music, all recorded at home during the COVID-19 pandemic. For more than 15 years, Chris has impressed audiences far and wide with his performances as principal cornet player with Whitburn Band, enjoying no shortage of success. But his links with the band go back much further, as he explains. Chris also reflects on his musical upbringing, from a young lad in Clydebank trying to get to grips with the trumpet to performing with Scotland's finest orchestras. That and he picks a very tasty piece of the podcast, But first, Chris speaks of his pride at being unveiled as a Besson Cornet artist.
1: Obviously, uh, being a player of my generation, uh, it was a bit of a surprise, but uh, a delight. I've always admired the Besson brand, and it's a pleasure now to be able to go out, perform on Besson instruments, which I have been for several years, and promote the brand, which I believe is world-class.
0: And of course you get to... Join a wonderful roster of players who are also in a similar position. It must be quite an honour.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've been on on already on Zoom calls with you know people like Roger Webster, Stephen Mead, Mike Kavanaugh, Philip Harper. You know, I mean, the the the, the famous names go on. So it's an absolute pleasure for me. It's been a hard road so far. Been a, a really long journey. And I'm looking forward to the, the, new, the new challenge.
0: Well, let's talk about another hard journey for everybody over the past few months. And of course, that's been relating to the pandemic and the restrictions. In Scotland, that's meant there's been no in-person banding for a little while now. However, you haven't been resting on your laurels. In fact, you've recorded an album called Silver Lining. How did that project come about?
1: Purely by accident, I have to confess. Um, at the start of lockdown, Ryan and I had a, a brief conversation about, you know, what we were going to do for for Whitburn's concert, which came out at, at the end of June, uh, with Mike Lovett on the trumpet, and we were responsible for putting together the the guide tracks for the band. So basically, you know, it was him and I had to invent a way to make the, the tracks understandable for the players in the band. and there was a, for some pieces that was very difficult because there was rubato and, and things involved. so we had to talk about click tracks and and, and so we, we set to work and the more we thought about it, the more we, I, you know we, we came to the, the conclusion that pff, let's try something for ourselves here. So you know I got hold of some arrangements which I rejigged and you know we, we just started recording. Um, it was, I mean, mainly just for Facebook to, to maybe bring a bit of cheer to, to a dark time. We ended up doing oof, one a week at first and then one a fortnight. And then Ryan started getting a bit busy because his reputation started growing a little bit. And, and then, so the, the things cut down a little bit, but you know, I was getting such a good reaction on Facebook about the recordings that, that we just decided, you know, let's put something together. Joe public might enjoy it, and I hope, I hope to goodness people do enjoy it. But more importantly, Ryan and I are, will enjoy in years to come looking back at something really positive that came out of such a really, you know,
0: a, a really bad year. Now, just in case anyone doesn't know, Ryan is your son. When you're so close to each other like that, did that make the process easier or more of a challenge? <laughs> Um,
1: in some ways, well, in most ways, easy, because you, you, you're you in the house with one another. There were challenges, you know, uh, trying to persuade Ryan that, that it was serious, you know, to, to pay attention to that like you would to any other project was, was difficult. But, yeah, I mean, Ryan and I all, always get on anyway. There's no problem there. So, no, it was very, it was very positive.
0: So what can we expect from the album? The title is Silver Lining, I think I have that correct. So what can we look forward to?
1: There's a, a variation of things on there. I mean, it was basically, I, I, I was looking at lots of arrangements and I was looking to see what worked. You know, it, it's basically, it's mostly well-known stuff that, that will be on there, like the Fleur Duet from De the, the Leaves Opera and um, we've got the tango from Gardel for Anna Cabeza. We have Mars from the Planets. We have the Slavonic Dances by Borjak, Symphony No. 9 by Borzak. Symphony No. 25 by Mozart. Uh, The Adagio from the Marcello Oboe Concerto, which not a lot of people might know, but I hope you really enjoy that. It's really lovely. And I also recorded, just a couple of weeks ago, to put on, in the middle of the album, the Fanfare from St. Edmundsbury by Benjamin Britten. And that's a three-way... Uh, fanfare, and we've recorded it in such a way it's supposed to be antiphonal, uh, with with players at different in different parts of the room. So the first the first player starts; he's in the middle of the room. The second player comes in on the right hand side. The third player comes in on the left, and then the players all play together. It can sound like most people when you hear it at first it might sound like a bit of a mishmash; that doesn't quite make sense. But then it all resolves at the end into, into a C major chord. It's, it's great. I love it. I've always loved it and always
0: wanted to record it. And the pieces that feature on the album, it's you doing the playing and you've layered yourself up. Is that right?
1: I, bas- I basically play everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it could be, you know, like Mars, for instance, has eight parts. And so, you know, you had to record each one individually. It That uh, has two C trumpets, two uh, three flugels and three cornets. And it basically, it started, it grew arms and legs as we went, and, and I started to really experiment more because I didn't want to just stick to, to cornet quartets, which is what we started with. So it, it went from cornet quartets through cornet three flugels and four flugels, and groups of flugels, groups of cornet, and groups of trumpets, so it, it just, whatever worked for whatever piece I ended up I ended up doing. And the Adagio is actually written for, it's three solos, there's two cornets and a flugel And that. You wouldn't know that to hear the recording, but there's actually three solo voices going on.
0: Your house, Chris, must have been a hotbed of music making over the past few months. (laughs) An extremely musical family, your wife Evelyn, your daughter Lauren, uh, and Ryan, of course, we know about, he's been doing some wonderful recording and producing work, but he's a talented musician in his own right, and he's also a member of the team at Whitburn in its percussion section. How proud are you of the work he's been doing? Because as you mentioned, he's been making quite a name for himself with this wonderful creative work. I couldn't
1: be prouder. I couldn't be prouder of him and, and Lauren as well. Lauren's a prolific singer-songwriter. You know, She's got her own YouTube channel and things like that, as, as Ryan has. When Evelyn and I first had kids, we, we made a pact not to force or brass bands on them. But you'll know yourself, Mark, being a parent. Sometimes you have to take the kids with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, we, we, we found ourselves having to take them to the Open and the Nationals, and, 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 you know, they just kind of grew into... I mean, even Lauren doesn't play in the band, but even she insists on being in... When we're going to London and Birmingham, she, she's got to be there because it's something we've always done. You know, from that point of view, that's how the kids' musical talents grew through being with us and being steeped. And then, of course, Ryan, with his his technological brain that he has, it's incredible. And he's he's studying uh, sound engineering at Napier University. He's in his third year now. Yeah, I'm very proud. And I think both of them are, are going real, real good places.
0: Let's have a little look now at Whitburn. This should have been... And in many respects has been a big year for the band, of course, celebrating its 150th anniversary. And although it wouldn't quite have panned out as we all would have expected, um, yeah. there's been some terrific distance banding content on there over the past few months, and the band enjoyed success at Cory's recent online championship. How has Whitburn enjoyed immersing itself in this new form of banding?
1: <laughs> you know, in some ways it's it's been it's been better fun because, you know, the the, the hassle of not having to go to band three three times, four times a week not being there. Um, of course it's not the same as, as being in a room and sitting next to your colleagues and seeing your colleagues. I think that's the most important thing is seeing your, your the people you work with. It's just been absolutely amazing. Whitburn are like a one big family anyway, we always have been. Um and we're very close knit. We keep in touch through Zoom, we have Weekly, uh, fortnightly meetings on Zoom. We do murder mystery games on Zoom and stuff like that, to, just to keep each other going. And we 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 choose we we pick and choose when to to put recordings out. We don't put them out willy nilly. You know we choose events. Like the last one was Halloween. We did all night long by Lion Richie, and that was that was great fun. And you know before that it was Hawaii Five O and, and things so the the fun element of it is 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 unbelievable, and and to be able to compete in that Corey contest was great. That was just like being at a real contest. It was it was, when it came to the results, I ran out the back because I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody that knows me knows that at the, at the Scottish Championships, I'll be hanging about the bar, at uh, the results, not in the not in the hall. I just can't face results. I hate them. Although it was a good result,
0: it was a very good result indeed. Whitburn is a band that would usually enjoy a busy schedule, concerts, contests and the rest, so how important has it been to have some of these goals and targets to aim for during this period? I think that's
1: really important for for every band. I'm not sure that every band has the, the facilities and the, and the the resources that we have. We've, we've got really good resources. You know, so far we, we haven't had any players drop out. We've, we've, we've had a full attendance at all the concert stuff we put together uh, I think it's very very important because you know who knows how long this is going to last and we don't we don't want players falling out of the picture uh, and we don't want brass bands suffering it. when we can finally come back together we don't want to find the band room half empty but so yeah, I think it's important to continue to innovate uh, but, and if you can find a way to, to make the virtual world work for you And just in some way, it doesn't have to be spectacular, but just give the players something to to work towards now and again, and, and I think that's really important.
0: Yes, we're all trying to find ways of navigating through these interesting times, but I would say if anyone hasn't yet seen some of Whitburn's online content, head over to its digital channels and you'll find lots of interesting stuff there. Okay, Chris, let's turn back the clock a little bit now and head back to the beginning how did you first become involved in learning a brass instrument?
1: Believe it or not, I didn't want to play brass. My, my, <laughs> first thing, I, was, I was introduced to a, a, the symphony orchestra when I, was, when I was in primary six, marched up to a, a local secondary school and, and the, the RSNO, the now RSNO, were there playing a concert and it just grabbed me straight away. And i I, I think I knew then in my heart that I was going to be have something to do with music but when I went to St Andrew's High School in Clydebank they just they they only had a trumpet and I shared it with my friend (laughs) (laughs) there were two of us sharing this trumpet he would have it for two days and then he'd he'd give it to me I mean he would just would not get away with that now (laughs) sharing sharing mouthpieces and oh dear
0: certainly not now Um,
1: you know I took the trumpet and and it was a real struggle at first I mean I remember my teacher he was he was just he was an old bass player from Clyde Bank for a Band who his name was Jimmy Hillis. And he was quite high up in, in Sabah for a while. He was I think he was a treasurer for Sabah. He kinda of took me under his wing. He used to tell me that I sounded like a, a, a cow being tortured and stuff like that, you know, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think I soon realized how, how difficult it was to, to make a, a decent sound. Um but I suppose a pivotal moment was when I heard, believe it or not, the Brick house in Rastrix recording of the floral dance. When I heard this, I was just I was drawn to that sort of brass band sound. And then the next thing I knew, I'm walking through my local shopping precinct and I heard the piece and, and, I, and I walked towards the piece and it was Clyde Bank Borough Band sitting outside Fine Fair stores. And so that was it, I was grabbed and I wanted to go and play for Clyde Bank Band. And Jim Hillis at that time, was was my teacher, obviously, and he introduced me to the junior band, and it just went from there.
0: Of course, for many people, music remains a treasured hobby, if you can call the intensive schedule of banding a hobby. But at what point did you decide you wanted to study music and really immerse yourself in that world?
1: I think it was while I was still at secondary school. I, I, I didn't have much to do with the orchestral world when I was at school, but I think because we used to have to study prescribed works as part of our curriculum for music and so you know that again drew me to the to the sound and and, and then I discovered the Haydn trumpet concerto and I discovered the Hummel trumpet concerto and you know I used to stand in my bedroom with, with some headphones on just playing along to the record and I went to Clydebank Barra Band and guess who was the conductor? Nigel Bodice ah. who, who at that time was the principal trumpet of the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra so that he he encouraged me to go and audition. I went for some lessons with him, and I got in. So that, that was that, that. was a turning point, definitely.
0: So your studies took you to the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, and then to London, mm-hmm. and you performed with many of the major symphony orchestras in Scotland. How do you look back upon that part of your musical life? Uh,
1: with great fondness, and, and to be honest, a little bit of regret. I do miss that side at college. you're taught to play very you know that you're taught to play to a very very high standard. It's very rigid in the how each day goes with your practice and you're very organized in that way, but you're not organized as a business person. I did some wonderful concerts and some amazing venues with some top orchestras and and I think now when I look back, I'm actually doing the best of everything, which is great
0: well, discussion of this orchestral side of your musical life brings us rather neatly to your piece of the podcast. So tell me about the work that you've chosen.
1: I've chosen the Leningrad Symphony by Shostakovich. It's his seventh symphony. The piece is is typical of of Shostakovich. Shostakovich was under a very strict regime. The politics in, in Russia at the time when he was writing these pieces were were not good, they were very communist, and and, and basically he was was mostly doing what he was told, Uh, but Shostakovich was such a clever conductor that he was able still to convey his his thoughts and feelings through his music. The Leningrad Symphony has the most incredible finish. I I don't think I've heard a better finish, and of course being a a brass player, not biased at all, but there's... (laughs) Seven trumpets in it, uh, six trombones and about 15 French horns. So it, it's quite a noise. It's not a noise all the way through the piece, but interjecting moments in the piece when that force plays. It's it's incredible. And I, I think back to a particular performance that we did. I remember because it was my birthday and, and it was in the, the old uh, the City Halls, in its old form and not, not in its new form. There was I don't know how many hundreds of people were crammed into this this little space. When you look at the Albert Hall, look at the the city hall in Glasgow, there's it doesn't compete. If you add up all those brass players playing at full tilt in that hall, it was just it was one of the most exhilarating moments in my life. I'll never forget it. We all shook we nearly shook the roof off.
0: Well you've really helped to whet our appetite. So let's have a listen now to the final moments of Shostakovich's Symphony No. 7, the Leningrad Symphony, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra with Leonard Bernstein conducting. moments of Shostakovich's Symphony No. 7, the Leningrad Symphony. That was the sound of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra conducting was Leonard Bernstein. And that was the piece of the podcast as chosen by my guest today, Chris Bradley. Chris, you've sat in the Principal Cornet Chair at Whitburn for around 16 years now, but your relationship with the band extends back even further than that. Tell me about how and when you joined Whitburn and your journey with the band.
1: With Whitburn, it started in 1984. At that time I played for Clyde Bank. I played on the flugel chair for Clyde Bank. And they, at the time, were a kind of of middle-of-the-road to bottom championship section band. I got a phone call from Whitburn to go and do a concert with them in Hexham Cathedral. And it was with the legendary Peter Parks, conducting. The main piece of of the program was the Enigma Variations by Eric Ball, and it was it was it wasn't long after that that, that arrangement had come out. The fugal part is mm. is not easy, so I had to, to sit and work at that. And I went down, did the concert, and at half time was accosted by a few of Whitburn's very persuasive committee and Major Parks himself, and that was the start of it with Whitburn and. So I think I played flugel there for up until about 1989. I decided to take a little break because I don't know, at that stage in my life, I think I was juggling freelancing with, with, with playing in a band. I was starting to feel real pressure uh, playing for Whitburn at that point. and And you know, things had started just to kind of go wrong a little bit with the form. And so I decided to take some time out and I joined the Johnson band. And in 1993, I just decided it was time to, to change up again. And uh, but the thing about Whitburn is, if you you know if you're not there, you get replaced. <laughs> I'd been replaced on the Flugel chair, and I basically started again from scratch, worked my way back up again, and got back onto the Flugel chair. But then I got the chance to be resident conductor with Whitburn, and this was in. The very early two thousands, I think it should be about two thousand one, two thousand two. Of course, I had to step off the full wheelchair and uh, and and my friend Jim Chamberlain stepped onto it, and uh, he brought the house down with his plane. And so once again, when I came off, when I came out of the resident conductor post, I had to kind of start again. So I went on to rep after that, I think, and then before I know it, I'm bumper up and I'm bumper up to Eleanor Ferguson from Ayrshire who who was a terrific player and you know I took a lot from her playing and so when she left and I was asked to step up to principal, I was a bit kind of not keen because I had never really considered myself to be a cornet player because people kept telling me I was a good flugel player so it wasn't until that moment that I started really thinking about the sound that I wanted to make on the cornet and uh, I would take things from Eleanor. I would take aspects from other people's playing, and Philip McCann was was a big influence on me, obviously as well, because he conducted the band for a few years as well. People like Roger Webster, you know, Alan Morrison, all, all the sort of players of my generation, and I took wee bits from all of them, and the guys round about me Whitburn, of course, who've got some terrific corner players as well.
0: It sounds crazy when you say that, though, that you didn't perhaps imagine yourself in that role. You've made the position your own over these past 16 years or so and, of course, won so many solo honours on top of all the contesting success with Whitburn. So has there been a point when you've been sitting in that chair at Whitburn where you've thought, yes, I've made it now? I think it's a mistake
1: to have to say that you've made it at any, at any time. Um, and I think that's the thing that drives me on because I'm very, very uh, self-critical, uh, not not just about my playing, but in, in most aspects of my life. Do I think I've got there? I don't think I ever will do, but I certainly was inspired. I've been inspired by certain performances that have lifted me to, to a, a higher echelon, if you like. And I think one of them was, I think the most important one was probably it was probably the 2014 Europeans in Lille and we we did fraternity and that's when people first heard I think really what, what I was capable of doing and it's kind of rocketed from there and then tubular brass came along after that and the encouragement that I've had through the years has helped really helped me to, to build and build and build but I'll never think I've got there until I'm ready to stop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So looking back on your tenure with Whitburn so far then, you picked out that performance of Fraternity. Are there any others that really stand out in your mind, whether on the contesting or concert platforms?
1: Well, I think the Fraternity at British Open, when we were second, we finished second to Valencia that year. I played even better that day than I did in Lille, and and so did the band. That would be one. Last year at London, the Titans Progress was was very good and there's been quite a lot of of performances at the Scottish Championships as well namely harmony music with uh, Ian Porthouse. I did a great English heritage I think with uh, Stephen Mead.
0: And as you look back across your musical career as a whole you've been able to work with some outstanding conductors if you had to pick one or two that really stay in your mind to this day who would they be?
1: I think the number one would have to be the legendary Peter Parks. There's not many people who who can change the atmosphere in a band room just by walking into it, and you know he had this aura about him that, before he even picked up a baton or or started waving his arms around, you know he he was just incredible. He's probably the the most naturally musical conductor. There's been so many. I mean. Ian Porterhouse, I thought was wonderful. Philip McCann's been been great as well. He's he's a he's got a great work work ethic in front of a band, and you know, he he made me discover actually that you know there's there's not there's no problem that can't be answered. You just have to think and work out what the what the answer is and and work at it. You know,
0: it's interesting when I've asked people to pick a conductor who really sticks in their mind. I think it's fair to say. There have been several names that crop up quite regularly, but it's fair to say the major, if I was to be tallying up, I think the major is definitely out front at the moment. But you've also carved out a very successful career yourself as a conductor, and you've worked with bands across the levels in Scotland. Was that always an area that you were keen to pursue?
1: Yes, I I think that being able to work with other musicians, uh, being a person in my position, I think it's, it can be an inspiration for for bands of a lower of a possibly lower level. The the problem I have is that I I can't really work with a band, in Whitburn's section. Although I am at the moment I'm just there as resident conductor. I'm not I'm not the professional conductor. But most other bands before that have been a section below, or sometimes two sections below. So I feel that you know I have something to offer in terms of the interpretations of music. I've been quite successful as well i've I've done well at three nationals and I've won a couple of Scottish championships in the lower sections as well. so you know that that's something that when when the planes finished, which I hope isn't soon <laughs> you know, that's something that I hope to pursue even more as as the years go on.
0: So Chris, as we approach the final moments of proceedings today, As you look back to that wee lad who was trying to get to grips with the trumpet, to where you are now, we've chatted about conductors and influences on that front, but are you able to identify someone who has been a real turning point in your musical life? I would have to
1: go right back to the start and say that it's James Hillis, my first ever teacher.
0: And I think a lot
1: of people, when they get to my age, probably look back and then and and realise what how important the first teacher was, tips right at the start like, his one of his favourites was, no air before sound. I mean, how else can you explain good production? And you know that that stuck with me right the way through. You know just things that he said to me at the start, which just I, I find myself bringing into my own teaching. And the, but the most the thing I say most, to people is no air before sound. I think if I hadn't been for him, I probably wouldn't have got beyond. Second year at school playing, I think I would have probably given up. He took me out of the doldrums in in Clydebank, you know, at the school I was at. wasn't the best school. and When I told him I was wanting to give up, that's when he took me to
0: the band. And that's when the light came on. Just quickly on that Clydebank connection. Of course, Clydebank borough band in its heyday a very fine and very well-known band indeed. But another cornet player to come out of, that set up was a certain Russell Gray. Yes. Um, I don't mean to offend either of you when I ask this, but similar generations or slightly different?
1: Russell and I used to go around Clydebank church halls playing concerts, playing duets. Yeah, R- Russell's about, I think he's a couple of years younger than me, but absolutely the same generation, but he made the decision to go and, go and study in Salford, I think, and the, the rest history history, what, what he's achieved. Incredible. Wow, well,
0: a real golden generation to come from the Clydebank set-up and the Clydebank borough band. So Chris, your lockdown album is called Silver Lining. When and how can people get hold of it? It's an online
1: recording only, so um, you can get it on Spotify and iTunes and a whole list of other streaming platforms. I'm hoping to get it out on the 20th of November.
0: That's it for this episode of BB on the Record. Thank you to Chris Bradley and thank you to you for listening. Look out for Chris's album appearing online on all your usual streaming services. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at britishbandsman.com. That's info at britishbandsman.com. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.